We're continuing our series, our Advent series called Prophecy Fulfilled, and this is our second installment. Um, Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 2 and verses 1 through 12. Out uh, Out of honor and respect for the word of God, we invite you to stand as I read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It'll also be on the screens behind me, but there's pew Bibles in front of you. Um, if you want to take that with you, feel free to do that too, if you don't have a Bible already. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who, was born, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold... The star, that they, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Christ community. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Jerusalem, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. As Craig shared earlier, we are in the second week of Advent, and as a church, we are looking back at four Old Testament prophecies that have been fulfilled in the New Testament. I was talking to my dad a couple weeks ago about these passages, and as we talked about the Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled in the New He commented that if it weren't for those prophecies and clearly seeing their fulfillment in the New Testament, his faith would not be as strong as it is today. And I think that's the case for many people. But as we see in the passage this morning in Matthew 2, not everyone responds to the fulfillment of prophecy the same way, even when the fulfillment took place in their very time and in their very city. Matthew chose to record this moment in the life of Jesus for a few reasons. First, I believe that he definitely wanted us to see that Jesus was indeed born in Bethlehem and that that was a sign that he was the prophesied Messiah. But in this gospel narrative, Matthew also recorded 
the three responses of the main characters. Herod the king, the Jewish priests and scribes, and of course the wise men. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning. How did these groups of people respond when the arrival of the shepherd of Jesus, or shepherd of God's people, came? Why didn't they all respond with worship when he arrived? What was going on in their hearts that got in the way of them enjoying this most unique and glorious time in world history? And as we consider this, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will stir in our hearts a deep desire to worship Jesus, but also reveal any resistance or pride or apathy that we have towards him. Because when the shepherd of God's people arrives, the only right response is to worship. Let's begin by considering the response from King Herod. We read earlier that Herod was immediately troubled when the wise men showed up and began spreading news about the child who was born king of the Jews. Herod was the current king in Judea. And although he was under the authority of Caesar Augustus in Rome, he enjoyed great freedom and power and pleasure as his role as king of Judea. Power and pleasures that he had no interest in giving up. So how did he respond when the shepherd of God's people had apparently arrived? Well, Herod responded with hatred instead of humility. At the end of our passage, we see uh, the wise men were warned in a dream by God not to return to Herod. And then in verse 13, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and warned him to take Jesus and Mary to Egypt because, quote, Herod was about to search for the child to destroy him. Herod viewed the Messiah as a threat to his power and his pleasure. And he had no desire to worship Jesus. He didn't want people talking about him. He wanted him gone, eliminated, destroyed. And when Herod realized the wise men were not going to come back with the location of Jesus, he was filled with rage and ordered a slaughter of all the male children in Bethlehem and the surrounding region who were two years old or under. That is pure evil. The love of power and pleasure and the fear of losing it can have that strong of an effect in the hearts of men and women. And it happens today all the time throughout the world. There are some women here this morning who are wearing dresses and have been wearing dresses for the last nine days to bring awareness to the fact that there are more slaves right now, today, than at any other point in human history. There are more human slaves today than at any other point in human history. And if you read the News Gazette, you know that that kind of stuff takes place right here in Champaign, too. The love of power and pleasure is so dangerous because of what people will do to get it and to keep it. And Herod is obviously an extreme example, but he is a reminder that there have been and will be people in every generation that would rather have God dead and submit to his authority, all because they falsely believe it will be the end of their pleasure. And I wonder if we have any roots of that ancient sinful desire in our own hearts today, which cause us to resent Jesus' authority. As Micah's prophecy stated, the Messiah will shepherd with strength and majesty, and his rule will be to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth doesn't just include places that are far away. 
It means everywhere. He rules over your workplace. He rules in your living room. He has standards for you on the internet and in your social media accounts. You cannot name an area or realm of your life in which Jesus does not hold the right to rule. Or as Abraham Cooper stated it, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus the shepherd has supreme authority over the entirety of your life. Herod responded to his arrival with hatred instead of humility. How do you respond to the authority of Christ in your life? How does that make you feel? Does it bother you at all? Does it create in you any resentment in your heart towards God? Or maybe I should ask it this way. Is Jesus' right to rule in your life something you simply tolerate rather than gladly enjoy and celebrate? Does his right to rule in your life, is it just something that you put up with rather than something you enjoy or worship him for? King Herod thought that Jesus' right to rule meant an end of his pleasure. The opposite is actually the truth. See, it is our joy that is actually at stake when we refuse to humbly submit to the authority of Jesus. As Micah proclaims in five, chapter 5 of his prophecy, the shepherd's flock will dwell secure and he will be their peace. We truly are more secure and at peace when we are under the authority and care of the good shepherd. And the more we submit to Christ's rule in our lives, the more gladly we will worship him and the more joyful we will be. The shepherd of God's people has already come and he desires to lead you now. Will you resent his authority in your life and fear losing pleasure or will you gladly worship the one who has come to be your peace? Let's turn our attention now to the Jewish priests and scribes. How did they respond? Well, as we will see, they responded with arrogance and apathy. Let's look back at Matthew 2 in verse 3. It says, When Herod the king heard the wise men's announcement, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And this is how they responded. They quoted Micah 5.2 and told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And that's it. We hear nothing else about the Jewish leaders. There's no record in any of the Gospels or anywhere else in the New Testament suggesting that they ever went to Bethlehem to investigate the arrival of the Messiah. That's not what should have happened. If you could forget what you knew about what happened and just write down what you think should have happened based on all the huge promises that were made to them, all the hope the Jewish people had banked on this man and his arrival, then the response of the Jewish religious leaders should be jolting. And actually, the more I thought about this, the more upsetting it became to me. Because I wish for their sake that they would have left Herod's court, that they would have joined the wise men in experiencing the joy and beauty of worshiping the Christ child face to face. Though the wise men came one to two years later after Jesus was born, 
and they weren't actually part of the nativity scene that we all have in our minds. The shepherds and the sheep, the cattle that were lowing. I cannot help but long for that picture to include a Jewish priest, scribe, and Pharisee next to their brothers from the east on bended knee, worshiping and rejoicing over the arrival of the long-hoped Messiah. They, of all people, should have been able to grasp the weight of that moment, the significance of every prophecy from ancient days being fulfilled before their very eyes, and it is an utter tragedy that they were not there. And it grieves me for people I know who I grew up with in church, who I was in Bible studies with or ministered to, who heard God's word but are no longer worshiping Jesus as Messiah and shepherd in their life. Though Matthew doesn't give many clues for why the Jewish priests and scribes didn't join in the worship of the Messiah, I think the most obvious answer, based on what we know of them throughout the rest of the Gospels, has to do with who brought the news of the Messiah's arrival. The Jews thought they were supposed to find the Messiah, and that he was for them and against any foreign people among them. So the idea that Gentile magicians from the East were going to come and be the messengers of his arrival and that they wanted to join them in worshiping him would have been absolutely preposterous to them. You can imagine their thoughts. We were supposed to find them. These foreigners can't know more than us or teach us anything. God would not have used sinful Gentiles for such an important event. They cannot join us. And so we're not going to go with them. What is the root sin in all that? It's pride, selfishness, ego, arrogance. And I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would be gracious to us and reveal any roots of that that we have in our own hearts that is hindering our enjoyment and worship of the Messiah. Have you ever been resentful or resistant to another person because God used them to reveal something to you, to teach you something? I know I did just this past week when I asked one of our elders for feedback on this sermon. And I opened up my Word document, and there's all the little comment bubbles on the right-hand side. And I felt rise up in it within me resentment towards him. And I'm thankful that God quickly humbled me because I nearly missed out on the blessing that God intended him to be for me and for all of you this morning. And today I can worship God for that blessing and the blessing of our elders because he humbled me. Have you ever become angry and indignant towards God because he had the audacity to choose someone else for his plan. He wanted to use someone else, not you, and perhaps someone who you thought, you deemed, was less worthy than you. And in your resentment, did you miss out on still being a part of God's plan or receiving a blessing from him? And as a result of that, was your worship and enjoyment of him hindered? Or how about this? Have you ever put up barriers 
for including others or been less than welcoming to someone. Perhaps someone in this church or in your small group or in a ministry because you didn't think they were as worthy as you. I know I've been guilty of this as well. In my desire to make myself appear more righteous in my own eyes or in the eyes of others, I have resisted the inclusion of some people serving in various ministry roles because I thought their inclusion somehow lowered the standard and made it less special that I had been chosen to serve in that role. How sinful is that? And what loss of joy does that create for myself and for those that God intended to welcome and to use for the church at large? When the shepherd of God's people arrived, the Jews missed the blessing of worshiping him because it wasn't about them. The party wasn't for them, so they weren't going to go. And as you follow Jesus now and you await his second coming, remember, it's not about you. Don't let your pride and arrogance keep you from gladly joining in the, with the full body of Christ in worship of our shepherd. Well, speaking of welcoming those who we deem unfit for God's flock, we finally come to the wise men. How did they respond to the Messiah's arrival? There's so much that has been said about the wise men. You've probably heard various things in songs and movies and books, sermons. They are often referred to as three kings because they gave three very expensive gifts. The three kings idea is more folklore or tradition than anything else. The Greek word for the wise men is magi, which is the plural of the word magis, which is the name of a Persian priestly sect. The Persian kings would often seek out their counsel because they were known for their interpretation of dreams, um, foretelling what would happen in the future, um, they would often uh, provide explanation to various signs, such as the stars. You can think of how King uh, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon sought the counsel from his magicians and sorcerers to interpret his dream before eventually turning to Daniel. The wise men were foreign Gentiles who worshipped other gods and engaged in pagan practices. So isn't it surprising, then, then when we get to the end of this passage in Matthew's gospel, that they were the only people who were happy at the arrival of the shepherd. Think about that. Herod is troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The Jewish priests and scribes, they're absent and apathetic. But in verse 10, we are told that when the star led them to Jesus in his humble home in Bethlehem, the wise men rejoiced exceedingly and with great joy. It's as if Matthew cannot find a strong enough word to describe their worship. It was not common. It wasn't passionless. It was exceptional, extraordinary, and with great joy. When the Messiah arrived, they alone responded with worship. And it's actually quite incredible when you think about it because out of all the characters in this story, they were initially the furthest away from God. Geographically, they traveled all the way from the east over a period of two years. But spiritually, they didn't even know God. 
They didn't worship him at all, or if they did, they worshiped him among many other gods. They didn't know his law. They didn't follow his laws. They were strangers and aliens among God's people. And yet, God literally moved the heavens to draw them near to the little town of Bethlehem to worship his newborn son. Friends, this is the heart of our God. This is the mission of the shepherd of God's people. He is the friend of the outcast. He is the pursuer of those people who are far from him. And he has come to gather worshipers from all nations, tribes, and tongues. How does that speak to you today? Have you ever felt like an outsider? Do you feel, even this morning, like you don't belong here in this church with God's people? Do you feel unwelcome or unworthy because you came from a family or a culture or a place that didn't believe in God? Perhaps you are literally from the East and you feel very much out of place in a Western Christian church this morning. Do you ever feel unworthy to worship Jesus because you think you have sinned horribly and disobeyed God's law so much and could never be welcomed by him? Well, I have great news for you this morning. Jesus, the shepherd of God's people, wants to lead you and draw you near to himself. He wants to welcome you into his flock. And he wants to draw you near to his son face to face and join in worshiping him to your greatest joy. Matthew's message of the wise men is not just about the announcement that the shepherd of God's people had arrived to rule in Israel, but that he came to lead those who were far away directly into God's presence. And the truth is, whether we feel unworthy or not this morning, we are unworthy apart from Christ. We are unworthy sinners who are far, far away from God. And yet Christ came to be our shepherd and welcome us. And not only welcome us, but to actually make a way for us to draw near to God the Father. As Jesus says of himself in John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus doesn't just make us worthy by extending us an invitation. It costs him much, much more than that. This passage in Matthew foreshadows how a Roman king in Judea will collaborate with the Jewish leaders to eventually kill the Messiah. But it only happened when Jesus, on his own timing and terms, laid down his life, his perfect sinless life, for his father's unworthy sheep. That is what Jesus came into this world to accomplish, and that is what he has accomplished for you and me when he gave his own life on the cross. And that is the glory and message of Advent, that Jesus has arrived to set us free. How does that speak to your heart? Does that make you want to worship him with great joy? So as you consider the arrival of the shepherd of God's people, what is your response? Don't be like King Herod and allow your love of power and pleasure to turn into hatred or resentment towards Jesus. Don't fail to respond with worship like the Jewish priests and scribes because following Jesus wasn't 
just about them or meant including people who they didn't feel like was going to, should be included. Rather, may we all, like the wise men, respond in joyful worship of the shepherd of God's people because he has brought near us who are far away and made us worthy to be his sheep. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for sending your son into this world to be our shepherd. And we praise you that you were so glorious to him that he gladly laid down his life for his unworthy sheep. To draw us who are far off near to himself and to you. We thank you for the mercy you extend us every day in spite of our resentment towards you and your authority in our lives. We thank you for the mercy you extend to us in spite of our appetite for false pleasure or our arrogance towards our brothers and sisters and others who you desire to draw into, near to you in worship. May you give us the gift of humility and wonder that leads to joyful, exuberant worship of you and your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.